Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you today. My name is Jason Gamble. I'm the um, children's pastor here at First Baptist Church of the Islands for those that we haven't had the chance to, to meet each other yet. And um, it's a great opportunity to be able to be with you today. Our pastor, Pastor Brooks, is um, taking some vacation time this week and enjoying spring break with his family. And it looks like everybody has made it this morning. How many of y'all forgot your clocks this morning? Anybody forget their clocks this morning? Some of you, a few of you, yeah, I think at 9 o'clock a lot did, but we didn't meet them this morning, they just didn't make it. So, so how many of y'all might have made, well, I won't make you say that, how many of y'all were planning on being here at 9 o'clock and you think it really is 9 o'clock right now? So, <laughs> but you don't have to raise your hand. All right, so, so it's, it's doing pretty good this morning. Um, this alarm clock went off extra early at my house this morning, so I hope y'all are all awake and we're starting to warm up a little bit and feel pretty good. But today we're going to look into God's Word together and um, hopefully hear from Him. And um, anytime I, I preach, I just pray that, that um, His Word doesn't go out by itself. And I'm thankful that He promises that it doesn't. Because um, if you ever teach or if you ever speak, um, you probably feel the same way at times, that you just you worry that you, you're going to stumble all over it and things. So, so just, um, just encourage you today to listen to God's Word and hear from God's Word, because um, His Word, it doesn't go out. As long as we're listening, it doesn't go out without coming back um, with great benefit to us. So be listening to it today as we go. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 5, and today we're going to be looking to see if we can answer the question of how far. And as we talk about how far, you'll understand more. And if you know where I'm going in Luke 5, you'll see kind of what we're talking there about how far. Um, every time we make a road trip, um, our most common road trip is a trip to North Carolina to see family. Our family lives just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's about a four-hour drive there. And every time we make the road trip, there's always one inevitable question. Y'all know what question that's going to be from our kids? How much longer? Are we there yet? Our question is specifically... Are we in North Carolina yet? We get that question as soon as we cross the Talmadge Bridge. Are we in North Carolina? It's like, no, this is South Carolina. We've been in Savannah ever since we left the house. We're in South Carolina. The roads just turned a lighter color. They're going to be this way for almost four hours. And then we'll be in North Carolina and we'll be at your mama's house or your Grammy's house. It's really not even that far from the North Carolina line. It's so close that really the whole trip is South Carolina outside of Savannah. So if we cross the Talmadge Bridge and you say, are we in North Carolina? The answer is going to be no. So, so, but then sometimes even still we'll stop for gas or we'll stop for some coffee or we'll stop for some food in Orangeburg or Hardyville or somewhere along the way, you know, just trying to get up the road. Are we there yet? No. We're not there yet. We've only been driving for like an hour and a half. It takes four hours. We're not there yet. The, the question keeps coming all the way through, all the way through, from Orangeburg to Columbia, up even to Rock Hill. We're almost there, but we're not there yet. Unfortunately for a Christian life, that question of are we there yet, it never gets fully answered this side of heaven. And so for every one of us, if we're honest, we have to realize that none of us are there yet. And so the question is, you know, well, how much further? How far do we have to go? When are we going to be there? What's it going to look like? And I'm talking from a spiritual side. When are we going to know that we have arrived at the destination, as the GPS machine will tell us? You know, when have we know that we're there, that we're making the right destination, and we are finally there? Well, this side of eternity, God says that we will continue to grow. He'll continue to work in us and continue to develop us. So it goes beyond just the point when we trust in Jesus to the point where he continues to work on us throughout life. But today we're going to take a look at that and see of, of how that starts and how that continues as we follow through and as we see how far we are. The other thing is, is that we can see in this passage in Luke 5 that there are some crucial steps in our journey to get us started and to keep us going that every one of us need to make sure that we're making. 
these crucial steps to going further with Jesus, to being sure that as we go through life that we are truly moving forward and we're not just staying in the same place. That would not be a fun trip to North Carolina. You know, when the car breaks down, tires flat, that's not the trip I want to make. So we don't want to stay in one place. We want to make sure that we're going further with Jesus all along the way. Our, our passage here in Luke 5, what is going on here in Luke 5? It's showing the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what we're seeing is, is there are great crowds that are coming around him. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, you see how Jesus was tempted. And you see an account there that Luke shared of how Jesus had gone into the wilderness. He was tempted. And when he came back, he was filled with the Spirit of God. And amazing things started to happen. And when he would teach, when he would preach, people would listen in a new way. Their scribes, their teachers, the people who had been given them the law before, it didn't sound the same as when Jesus taught. When Jesus taught, he had a power about him. He had a power that other teachers of the law didn't have. And suddenly they were seeing God's word come alive in new ways. When Jesus would go and be with the people who were sick, he didn't just comfort them, he would heal them. When he would go and he would sit down in the synagogue one day and a man who was, who was demon-possessed started speaking out, came face to face with the Son of God and said, I know who you are, you're the Son of God. He said, you need to be quiet now, be quiet. And the demon left and the man was made well. Jesus changed things for people and amazing things were going on in that time. And as the people were seeing what Jesus was doing, everybody wanted a part of it. Everybody was coming close, everybody was coming around and they all wanted to see what was going on. Well, in Luke chapter 5, we start off at the very beginning, and it says, Well, at one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and it goes on to say, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. This first section right here is what's going on. It doesn't quite communicate it sometimes in, in certain translations. The NIV that I'm reading from doesn't really say it clearly. Because the people crowding around him, what it really means is that they were pressing on him. They weren't mad at him at this time. They were happy to see him. They wanted more of what he had to say, more of what he had to give. But they were pressing on him so much that he was getting closer and closer and closer to the lake or the Sea of Galilee, as some translations would call it and other places would say, getting closer and closer and closer to the point that he was out of land. And there was no way he could effectively teach anybody at that point. So that's where we start in Luke chapter 5. Jesus surrounded by a great crowd of people, and he's got a problem. And the first problem that he's got here is that he can't speak to anyone with this kind of speaking situation. Thankfully, y'all are all sitting down. Nobody's coming up on the stage yet. So I, I know I can't teach with the same authority as Jesus, but, but we're gonna, we don't have the same problem he's got. But he had a solution there. And the solution presented himself in these two boats. He said, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So as the crowd came around, Jesus saw these boats, and he saw the fishermen who belonged to these boats. And they were cleaning their nets out, finishing out their work for that day. So we see from the very beginning, the very first step starts off right there with the problem. The very first step of going further with Jesus comes in with what he asked Peter to do. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him, Simon, later called Peter, to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So he finally could have a calm place where they could teach. So he took Simon, the fisherman. He said, Simon, would you loan me your boat? Take me out into the water so that we can do some teaching today and everybody can be able to listen. So you get the visual. The people were finally able to just sit down, calm down, and Jesus, who was a little ways away, could sit down and teach from the boat. 
This wasn't a strange practice to sit down while you teach. It actually was very common. If you read in chapter 4, you read about how when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, that he had read the law, stood up and read the law, and, or the prophet of Isaiah, and he had said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today, and went and sat down and started to explain what it was about. It wasn't uncommon when they would go to their places of worship and gather together on the Sabbath that they would sit down to explain these things and talk through these, through these things together. So Jesus has now created a gathering place, a synagogue right there on the lake. This lake here called the Lake of Gennesaret and usually called the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, it was a, it was a lake that was about 16 miles long, 6 miles across. And, and if you know anything about Bible geography, Sea of Galilee is a major place throughout your Bible geography. And so he's here on the edge, not far from Capernaum, in an area of Gennesaret. And there in that place, this is where this happens today. He sits down, he teaches the people, and Simon, the fisherman, has now stopped what he was doing, stepped away from the nets, and he's been able to serve Jesus by getting in the boat with him. The very first thing that we want to take away from this passage is that each one of us must step out in obedience and each one of us must step into the boat. If we're going to go further with Jesus, we've got to engage with Jesus. We've got to step into the boat. For Simon, it meant he needed to stop what he was doing. Simon was cleaning up from a hard night's labor, cleaning up his nets, getting his nets cleaned out, making sure they were all tied back together for those places where they might have gotten caught on rocks, making sure they were ready to put away the fishermen that were with Simon, we'll find out in a few minutes, they didn't have a very good night fishing. So if they wanted to make any money that day, Simon might have been getting ready to do a little bit more fishing. But it wouldn't have been as profitable. It would have been a cast net probably, not as much of like a drag net of what they had used the night before. And so they were probably getting ready to maybe do some of that. Maybe they were getting ready to go home, eat some breakfast, eat some lunch, go rest for a little bit to get ready to get up that night and do it all over again. Do you think that Simon felt like getting into a boat and going and sitting out in this heat for a little while? Probably not. He probably didn't feel like doing that. But Simon stepped into the boat because Jesus asked him to. Simon knew a little bit about Jesus already. He knew quite a lot about Jesus. If you read in the book of John, you find out about how Simon first came in contact with Jesus. You find that Simon probably had some connections with John the baptizer or John the Baptist. And you find out in the book of John that that Andrew was with John on the day when John saw Jesus coming down and said, Behold, look, this is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. And so Andrew hears this. This is Andrew, Simon's brother, hears this. And so the next day, as Jesus comes around, Andrew goes and follows Jesus to his place where he's staying. And he goes and meets with him and talks with him. And immediately, Andrew goes and gets his brother Simon. And he says, we found the one. We found the Messiah. We found the chosen one, the one who's going to save us. And so Simon and Andrew, Simon and Andrew, they start to follow Jesus then to a point. But their following has not yet come to completion yet. They understand who Jesus is, but Jesus' time of ministry has not yet quite begun either. And so they start to follow Jesus, but they're not quite there all the way. They're not all the way in. On this day, Jesus on the seashore comes to see Simon, I believe. I believe the people were pressing in and following after Jesus because they wanted more of what he had. But I think Jesus was there first and foremost for Simon that day. And as he went and as he encountered Simon, he called for Simon to take a step. Take a step away from what he was doing. Take a step from all the things that were taking up his time and energy for that moment and to step into the boat. Jesus calls for us to take a step. For some of us, that step might have started this morning. 
when you actually got up on time and made it to church on time. That could have been the step that you needed to make. For some of us, it may be that he wants us to take a step of faith, to trust in him, to realize that he is the only one that can take our sins away, and we need to have faith in him for the rest of our lives. For us, some of us, that step may be to step out of our comfort a little bit and to rise up to a challenge that maybe he's got ahead for us. We're going to find out more about that, of how we take those steps. But all of us have to realize that we have to respond in obedience first to step towards Jesus Christ. So we have to step into the boat. We have to engage and get to be a part of it. If I have all the best fishing gear in the world and I never go fishing, how many fish will I catch? Zero. I have to go fishing. If I have all the best hunting gear in the world and I never go hunting, how many deer will I shoot? None. If I have all the tools in the world and I never put my hand to building anything, how many tables or how many furniture pieces will I build? None. It all starts with a step. It doesn't matter what you've got with you if you don't make the step to see it through. It starts with a step. Jesus called for Peter to take a step into the boat, but he was going to take him further than that. Each one of us have steps that we need to make. Each one of us have things that God is calling for us to do. And we need to respond in obedience and come towards him, realizing that, as James says, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And, and he more than meets us halfway. We'll find out more about that in just a second. So we take a step into the boat. <clears throat> the next thing that we see here in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse 4, it says that as Jesus is finishing up his speaking to the people, in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. All right, so here's a question for you. Tomorrow morning, you're going to work. You show up at 9 o'clock and your supervisor says, um, I've got somebody for you to meet. This person's going to be with you all day long and they're going to tell you how to do your job. You've been doing this job for five years, but this person's going to be with you. Or, or maybe you've been doing this job since you were a kid, and this person's going to be with you to tell you how to do your job all day long. And they're not just going to tell you the things you could do better or the things you might be doing wrong. They're going to tell you how to do your job. Step by step, little by little, they're going to tell you how to do your job. How many are excited about that day of work? How many might tell your supervisor, I'll see you later, never again, not coming back? Okay, now imagine you're a fisherman. You've been fishing since you were a kid. Your dad taught you this business. You and your brother, you've got a good thing going. You've got two friends, James and John, and they're your partners. You've got two good boats, 20 to 30 feet long boats. Things are going fairly well for you guys. You've got a good fishing business going. And all of a sudden, this carpenter from a place over in Nazareth, he shows up and he's going to give you fishing tips. I mean, he's a woodworker. He's not a fisherman. Do you do what he says? Do you follow through? Now remember, I said Simon had some previous experience with Jesus. If you look in Luke 4, Simon, not only had he been a follower of John the Baptist and heard great things already about Jesus, but in Luke 4, Simon experienced Jesus' power to some extent. He saw a little bit of what Jesus could do. His mother-in-law, who probably lived there in the household with Simon, his mother-in-law had been sick. She had a fever. She was ill. He brought Jesus, along with some others, to, to come and visit his family and to be in his home as his guest, and his mother-in-law couldn't be the hostess she normally was. She couldn't take care of the family. So Jesus heals her of her fever. She gets up and starts serving everybody and taking care and doing the job she likes to do. She could be the hostess again. So Peter had already had a glimpse of Jesus' power. And he had already heard a little of who Jesus really is. 
And so Peter has good reason to listen to a carpenter from Nazareth when Jesus says, let's go into the deep water. But still, he doesn't know fishing. So look at what he says. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus is calling for Peter to take a step beyond just getting in the boat when he's really got nets to clean. And taking a step beyond sitting there and listening at his feet while he teaches the crowds. Taking a step further to go and put actions with his faith. To go and to do what Jesus said. To follow through. All night long they had been putting these nets out, probably big drag nets with weights on the bottom and floats on top, pulling them behind their boats, trying to see how many fish they could catch with the current or as they swam through in their schools. All night long they'd bring them to the shore and bring them up and see how many were in the nets. And all night long nothing was there. All night long they did that over and over and over again and all night, all night long they had nothing to show for it. Now it's the middle of the day probably after Jesus has spent time teaching. The nets have been cleaned and mended. They're ready to go home. And Jesus said, let's go back out into the deep water. Jesus is calling for us to take a step of faith. Not just obedience, but a step of faith. A step of faith that goes beyond what we can understand to go through to trust in Him even when it doesn't understand. Even when it doesn't make sense. That we follow through in faith in Him. He says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon follows through, and when he follows through in faith, it says that when they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Peter had never seen this before. This was an amazing catch of fish. This was a time of day that you don't need to be fishing. This was not when they expected to fill nets with fish. And immediately, as soon as the nets hit the water, the fish can't wait to get in the nets. That's not how fishing goes for me. When I go fishing, I catch squirrels because I spend more time in the trees trying to get my lure out. That's how I fish. I've never had fish jump in the boat. They don't do it. Now, occasionally, you might, I don't know, a mullet might come flying across or something. I don't know. Something weird can happen. But typically, fish aren't flying in your boat. They're not going to jump in the nets. They're not going to jump in so that you can catch them. That's not how it works. But see, Peter realizes that he's not in a normal situation. He's with the creator of the universe. He's with the one who made these fish. He's with the one who designed these fish. He's with the one who teaches the fish how to think and what they go after and where they go. And so he sends those fish into those nets and they have a miraculous catch of fish. It can't be explained. It goes against everything that Peter knows to be normal, everything that Peter knows to be right and true. And suddenly they have a boat full of fish so much that they have to call in their friends and say, help us, we're going to drown, we're going to sink, we're going to lose the boat, we're going to lose the nets, we're going to lose the fish, we need your help. They come out, they help them, their boats are full too. They come ashore with two boatloads full of fish Barely able to make it, the boats start to sink. When we go out into the deep water with Jesus, we follow where he leads in faith, that's when we get to the place where he does the things that only he can do. That's where we get to the place where we can't explain how things work all the time because we're following after him. When we get out into the deep water, we get to the place where where we see great things from God, things that if we stay in the shallows, we can't expect to see. It only comes from following through in faith and trusting after him.
We don't always see the plan, but God has already made the plan. We follow through in faith and trust in him. We go into the deep water with him and follow through. Paul would pray for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3 that they would come to understand this deeper faith, that they would come to understand what it means to trust in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, this is what he says to them. This is his prayer for them, for the Ephesians who live in Ephesus. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Look how he finishes this. It finishes really with a song of praise. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he finishes with a song of praise right there in that right there in that chapter. It's, I love it when Paul does that in his letters where he'll be writing and all of a sudden it's like he breaks out into a praise song and then he gets back to business and he has to finish it with an amen. It's so good. And so he's talking through it as he's going. And look at verse 20. It says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. That means without measure, more than all we can ask or imagine according to whose power? His power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Paul prays that for the Ephesians, that they will be able to see God's power, that they'll be able to step out in faith, that their faith will grow, that their faith will be full, and it will be to the measure of God's power, not their own. When we go out into the deep, we're not going out in our power. We're going out in God's power. We're going out with his strength so that he's showing us where we should go. He's showing us what we should do. We're following through in discipleship after him. Peter went out against all reason. He went out and followed Jesus at just the word. He obeyed, but he also showed faith. So first, we step in the boat. Second, we go into the deep. The last part of this passage tells us what our next step is, and it's an ongoing step. It really could be step after step after step. Back in Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, verse verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Focus on that for a second. Peter, when he's in the presence of God himself, he realizes that this is not like any other man. This is not just a carpenter from Nazareth. This is not just a great teacher. This is not a rabbi. This is not just a healer. This is God made flesh. And Peter starts to see what he had heard from John. He starts to realize that this is the Messiah, the chosen one from God, the one that sent to take away our sins. And he has the power to do it. Because Peter had just seen on his own home territory, God work in an amazing way like he had never seen before. Nobody had ever done that before. And Peter realizes he's standing in the presence of God. And what does he say? He says, leave me. I'm a sinful man. It's like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah sees a vision of God on his throne, he says, woe to me. He bows down and he feels like he's going to be struck dead. And Isaiah would say, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
when we come to the place where we realize who God is and we realize who we are, it should lead us to the place where we realize we're so far apart from Him. And on our own, we can't get there. On our own, we can't be good enough. We can never come to God on our own. And we have to realize how sinful we are to realize how great our need is for a Savior. And I'm not saying that every one of us have you know, robbed banks or been murderers, things like that. I'm not talking about that. The Bible says that if we go against any one of God's law, that we have broken it all. And when you look at a perfect, holy God, every one of us falls so far short of Him that it flies in the face of who He is and what He created us to be for Him. So Peter responds in repentance. He says, look at me. I'm a sinful man. And I can't stand this. I can't be this close to holiness. That's how the message transliterates this. I like it. It says, I can't take all this holiness. You're too good for me. I can't be in the presence of this much holiness. Because he realizes how sinful he is. But look at Jesus' response to him. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees, Jesus, at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions, they were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. Two things we want to see from verses 10 and 11. First we want to see is that Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, I came into this world not to condemn this world, but to save this world. So many times people think our message is from God's word is a message of condemnation, that we're just talking about what people are doing wrong and what, what people are doing right and, and, and what Jesus wants them to do, what he doesn't want them to do. Jesus said, our sins have already condemned us. We stand condemned from the moment we're born. We've already been condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save so Jesus calls out to each one of us and says, don't be afraid. Not that he doesn't take our sins seriously. He takes it very seriously. He takes it so seriously he died for it. And that's why he could say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Instead, turn from the sin. So he tells him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. He's got a new mission, a new purpose for Simon. He's got a new calling for Simon. It's going to be accomplished through Christ's power, not Simon's power. And he has a plan for Simon that Simon didn't know anything about before he got up that day. So he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. See, Simon says, I'm not worthy. I don't need to be right here with you, God. This is too much for me. I can't handle this holiness. There's no way you can use me. You need to get out of our boat because this isn't good for us right now. This is dangerous. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I've got a plan for you, and I'm not finished with you. So many times Jesus would tell the people who, who thought themselves religious, the people who thought themselves righteous, he would say, well, I'm, a, I'm the doctor that came for the sick, not for the well. So if you think you're good, if you think you're well, if you think you're healthy, then you don't need a doctor. But he came for those who knew they needed a doctor. Peter knew that day he needed a doctor. He knew his problem. And he knew only Jesus could take that problem away. So he had to trust in him. So he has a plan for Peter. He has a plan for the rest of them too. That they will follow him. They will be fishers of men. They will be catchers of men. The word for here is, means to take alive. 
that no longer are they going to be putting out nets every night to catch fish, but now they're going to be part of God's net to catch people. And not for bad things, not to put them into bondage, but to catch them so that they're free. To free them in Jesus Christ. He's part of a bigger plan that God has in store. They're going to be catchers of men or fishers of men from now on. And they'll be able to catch people for God. He's got a plan for them. It doesn't just stop there. When we see that Jesus has a plan for us, he leads us to a place of transformation. If you look in Romans chapter 12, it's one of my favorite passages. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It talks about this transformation that God has in store for us. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As Jesus calls for us, he calls for us to follow after him. He calls for us to go his way. And here in Romans chapter 12, it's telling us that we don't need to go the way of the world anymore. Peter realized, Simon Peter realized that he didn't need to follow the way of the world anymore. He saw his sinfulness and realized that it could not take care of him. Instead, he needed to be changed. He needed to be transformed, made into a new creature through Jesus Christ. And it's only done through the renewing of the mind. And that renewing of the mind comes from a close walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. Back in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, you see the last section there. What was their action as they came out of the water? They pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Let's go back to that day at work when you've got the person there with you who knows everything about your job, even though you've worked it your whole life. Let's imagine now, after that person was there, you had the best day of your work ever. If you're, if you're um, in, in, in money, you made twice as much money than you've ever made. If you're you know, a teacher, you had twice as many students and they were twice as smart by the end of the day. Everything you could imagine to be the best day ever in your job. Every person who was sick was suddenly made well when they saw you and they went home better. Your job was awesome that day. You had the best day you could ever have. And now you're called to leave it behind and walk away from it. Jesus called for Simon Peter, James, John, probably Andrew too, to walk away from the greatest catch they had ever seen. To leave it behind. They could leave it with Zebedee, James and John's dad. They could leave it with their partners, the people that worked for them. They could leave it behind because Jesus had a different plan for them. He wanted him to follow him. He had a new plan for their life. So they were going to leave it all behind and follow him. The last step, the last crucial step for us, after we step in the boat, after we go into the deep, is we have to come follow Jesus. We have to follow after him. For many of us, it's not going to mean that we have to leave everything behind. Peter would write, if you read the letter that Peter wrote to the Christians later, he talks to wives and husbands. He talks to, he talks to slaves and masters. He talks to so many people who are doing jobs and doing different things in their station of life. And he tells them all to do it all for God's glory and to do it well. To do it all for him and to show unity, to show love, and to live your life for God's glory. So not everybody had the calling that Peter had. Not everybody has the calling of a pastor or a missionary to go into another place far away. But we all have the calling to follow Jesus Christ. 
If we are his and we have given our lives to him, he is our Lord and not just our master. If you look back at what Peter called Jesus the two times, in verse 5, Peter, Simon Peter called him master. It's a term that means, I know that you're an authority. I know that you have authority. You're a teacher. You're great. I know that you're an authority. He called him master. But if you look at the very end, Simon's word to Jesus were, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. It's a new relationship that he had with Jesus. Now, he still called Jesus master from time to time through the Gospels, this same exact word. But Peter liked to use that word here especially, but the first time he called him master, which just means you have authority. The second time he said, I am your servant. Lord, I follow you. Lord, I'm not worthy to be counted in your company. Lord. He had a new relationship with Jesus just from this one encounter. He had a new perspective of who Jesus is and what Jesus called him to do. So when Jesus said, come follow me, Peter was ready to do it. He went up on shore, left everything behind, and followed Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord, the way we explain it to kids upstairs is if Jesus is our Lord, he's your boss. All right, now your boss in life, they probably, they don't need the same amount of clout as the Lord does, as Jesus does. But he's your boss. He's the one who tells you what to do. He's the one that tells you how to live. If there is anything in your life that he says should be off the table, it's off the table if he's your Lord. If there is anything in your life that's not bringing him glory, it's gone because he's your Lord. Jesus is our Lord. We follow him wherever he says. And it's not just a one-time thing. It means when we get up in the morning, we have to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And then we live it out. We don't just say it, we have to do it. We have to follow Jesus, and it has to be an intentional daily thing that we are making that step to follow him. So many of us, we don't have a call to go around the world, but we do have a call to follow Jesus right where he's placed us. And if that means that there are things in the way, then we lay those things aside so that we can follow him. Look at these three steps. We come follow Jesus. I'm sorry, we get in the boat Go into the deep and come follow Jesus. Imagine for a second if Simon Peter, when he came to the first point, when it came time to get in the boat, imagine Simon Peter said, you know, I have been out here all night long and I'm tired and there's a crowd of people on my lake now and I'm just ready to go home. I mean, after working a shift like that, I think I would have been ready to go home. Imagine if he had said that. Or imagine if he had said, you know, guys, you got this. Y'all go take care of the boat. I'll take care of the nets. We can all get out of here faster, get us some lunch. My mother-in-law can get us a good meal. She does that. So maybe he had said that, you know. Imagine if he had said that. What would the rest of his life have been like? Or maybe if he had gotten into the boat and he had sat there and listened to Jesus and he had a part in this day when all these people came to hear Jesus talk. But then Peter gets told, let's go out into the deeper water. Maybe then he changes his mind. No, I don't think we need to go in the deeper water. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Let's go ashore. Let's go have some lunch. We can do that. We don't need to go into the deeper water. You know, this is good. We can keep moving on. Would his life have been the same? What would his story have been? Would we even know his name if he had been the unnamed man who owned a boat on the side of the Sea of Galilee that day? Maybe if he had gone into the deep and he had seen this amazing catch of fish and suddenly he decides, you know, this is awesome. I have more fish than I know what to do with. 
We can go to the market. We can put some on salt. We can ship some to Spain. We're going to make us a new industry. This is going to be the Peter, James, and John fishing boats. And we're good because we're set for the rest of our lives with this much fish. We're good. We're good right here. I went into the deep with Jesus. This was an awesome day. And now I'm going to just hang out here in Capernaum. And we're going to have us a great fishing industry. Build off of this success. This is a good day. But Jesus said, come follow me. And he chose not to. At any point in this story, Peter could have decided to go his own way. But Jesus came that day to meet Peter and to call him to be his disciple. And Jesus had a plan for him to continue on. And he continued following Jesus. Peter is one of the most imperfect people that you can read about in Scripture sometimes. And he's an encouragement to all of us. When you read through the Gospels, you see that he gets it right and then he gets it wrong. He knows who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, the Lord of God, the, the Lord of this earth and the Son of God. And then in the very next minute, Jesus is calling him Satan because he's telling Jesus, don't go and kill yourself in Jerusalem. Je- Peter says at the, at the Last Supper, he says, I'll never deny you, Lord. Every other disciple you got, they can, they can just turn their back and walk away, but it won't ever happen to me. I'm the man. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm going to follow you all the way until they kill me. And that night, before he can even get to his alarm clock going off the next morning, he's denied him three times. But Jesus is never done with him. Because on that same Sea of Galilee, in the book of John, you can read about how Peter and John and these guys were out fishing one morning. After Jesus had died and he had risen again, they go back home, go spend some time up in Galilee, because that's where Jesus said he'd meet them. They're fishing, doing what they know how to do, doing what comes natural, doing what's fun for them. And they're fishing. And as they're doing that, they see someone on the shore, and the man says, throw your nets on the other side. They're thinking, what in the world? Somebody's giving us fishing advice? We've done this our whole life. They throw their nets on the other side. They take in another great catch. John says, it's Jesus. He remembers that time on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus had given them the greatest catch they had ever seen and a boatload of fish that they could have never hauled in on their own. And Peter jumps out of the boat and goes to see Jesus. And on that seashore, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times he says, you know I love you, Lord. And three times he says, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And the third time Peter realizes, wait a minute, this wasn't just, you know, he couldn't just not hear me or this wasn't just for, you know, review. He didn't really question if I loved him or not. This was to remind me of the times that I denied him. And so Peter is reminded of his faults, but he's also reminded that God has a plan for him still, that Jesus still has a plan for him and says that you will be a part of my church. You will be a part of my work, and I have not called you or not not stopped calling you to follow me. So Peter is a great one to look at because he messes up a lot. That's encouraging for us, but he's also great because he highlights Jesus' grace and that his plan stays true. That no matter what we go through, if we're following after Jesus, he has great things in store for us. We have to continue to be faithful, that we obey, that we show faith as we follow him, and that we continue to follow each and every day. No matter what the road looks like, no matter what we do, that we turn back to him and follow after him. So I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, you may feel like you have no clue where the boat is to step into. I encourage you, step into the boat. Trust Jesus Christ. He is the one who can take your sins away. 
who can make you right with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never thought about that, that, that God is holy and that we are not. Well, you need to think about that and realize that Jesus came. He died on a cross. He lived a real life and he was a perfect sacrifice to take our sins away. And when we trust in him, he takes those sins away and he's done everything that needs to be done for us to live a life focused after him. Maybe you need to take a step deeper and you realize that you're, you're coming on Sundays and maybe you're a part of our church but, and you're, you're trying to grow, but maybe you realize that you're not really truly following what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. And maybe you need to be praying for somebody who can come into your life, who can speak into your life. It might be one of our Bible study leaders or a, a Bible study class you could be a part of. It might be a one-on-one chance that you could have that somebody could just pour into your life and in your heart and share with you how God has worked through their life. You need to pray for that. Pray that God will send the people into your life that you need, that he can make you into who he wants you to be. That's what discipleship looks like, is you becoming more like Christ as you follow after him. And he's given us all each other so that we can help each other get there as we continue to go deeper with him. And there's going to be days where you have days like Peter had, where you feel like, man, this is awesome. Everything is going great. Everything is good. And, and the Lord's just showing up in amazing ways. And then there's days that don't look so good. But through it all, you trust and follow after Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to see and understand more and more each day what it means to follow Jesus each and every day. Wherever you are, I encourage you to take the time to pray. Come talk with one of our decision counselors up here. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, there is never, never a wrong time to make that decision to trust in Christ. And we have people here that you can talk with, and they can tell you what it means to be a Christian and explain it more for you so that you can trust in him and you can understand that he's not just our master, the one who's greater than all of us, but he's also our Lord. He's the one we can give our lives to and live our lives for. Right now, we're going to pray, and um, just, just join with me as we pray, and then Nathan will come and lead us in our songs to worship God. Lord, we thank you for a chance just to look into your word. We thank you for the way that you impacted the life of Peter. We thank you, Lord, that he was obedient and faithful to follow after you, and that through it all, Lord, that he continued to pursue you, and he continued to follow you, Lord. Lord, help us to see, help us to remember that we'll never be able to go where you want us to be if we don't follow after you. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you each and every day. Lord, for those who are here today that have not made that first step just to trust in you, Lord, to ask you to take their sins away and give you a new heart and a new life that they can live for you. Give them the courage to step forward to talk with someone today or to take the time to talk to someone, even as they may leave this place, Lord, to, to talk with us about what it means to be a Christian and how they can know you. Lord, for, for all of us here, Lord, we pray that you just give us the strength to be faithful. Help us to see the times that we're choosing to go our own way, when we may be taking up our own, our own nets, our own things, and letting them get in the way of our relationship with you, Lord. Help us to cast aside anything that gets in the way and be ready to chase after you, Lord, wherever you may lead us. Help us to be obedient and faithful to you each and every day. Thank you, Lord, for this time to, to study from your word and this time to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.